Jesus. Someone's gonna break him! Oh god, what did I just pour into my gullet? I have her! I like them on my face. That tongue was huge! I want the guy to be home. Welcome to the ninth episode of the long-awaited Amazing Race Australia 2 recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Halfstone, and joining me to celebrate their respective birthdays, as long as I don't change the schedule, is the Canadian who definitely has a video in his collection featuring someone wrestling a bear, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. And the lady who has wanted to throw many things at us on the podcast, but still keeps coming back for more, Michelle Pierce-Denovan. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Um, morning. Good morning. How are your respective birthdays? <laughs> what, what, what is this? I don't understand. <laughs> Assuming I don't change the schedule, this episode comes out on Logan's birthday, which is uh, 23rd of July, and yours is obviously a couple uh, of days before his. So it's your respective birthday uh, episode. I think it was good. <laughs> I'd like to celebrate these things for you, ignoring the fact we're recording this seven months in advance. <laughs> yeah, I just got I just got released from a Myanmar prison in exchange for an arms dealer. So uh, yeah, quite a quite a crazy birthday. I don't know how it's. It'd be too long to explain the chain of events that led to that. <laughs> I'll also point out that last time I did this joke, I said to Logan, 31's a good look on you, and we ended up having to delay that podcast by about four weeks. So I'm not going to say that again oh for 32. Oh god, how funny. Does that mean I have to come up with the mine five now? Yep. And it also means you have to do something for my birthday episode, which, spoilers, will probably be Belkia premiere again. Although that'll be the day after my birthday, all being well. And it's time to talk about one of the more fun episodes of this season. And one of the more expensive episodes of this season, I would say. Two teams run out of money. Teams get so little money in this episode, we don't even find out how much money they get in this episode. This is cruel, because as somebody who was born just outside of Vancouver, and has also visited the city many, many times, and just BC in general is really expensive, yeah, this is this is painful to watch. Yeah, I need to preface all of this episode by saying that the first time Logan and I ever met up, it was when I was in Vancouver with my family and Logan flew out to meet us. 2014. September September of 2014. Wow. I think September 11th or September 12th. I'm not sure if it was September 11th, but it was definitely September, uh, September 2014. So we're assuming you actually ignored the fact we're recording this in December, coming up on nine years since that happening. And um, yeah, Vancouver is not the cheapest city in the world. As Grant says in his introduction to Vancouver, it hosted the most recent Olympics, because it did at the time, and there's a reason they mentioned that, which we'll get to. Famous, of course, for John Montgomery chugging a beer, walking through Whistler. And it's also regularly voted one of the most livable cities in the world. And if you know what that actually means, it means it's one of the most expensive cities in the world. Yeah, it's right up there with Vienna, Austria, typically. They battle it out with them. Vancouver's a lovely city. I've been there a fair few times, as is Logan, as he mentioned last episode, but it's not the cheapest city in the world. No, whenever somebody from Vernon moves to Vancouver, everyone instantly asks, oh, how can you afford to live there? How small is your place? How many, how many roommates are you going to have? 
Yeah. And off the back of a first time in the world visit to Cuba, this is a first time in the world visit to Vancouver for any Amazing Race. Really? Because this this is two years even before Amazing Race Canada starts. Yeah, the hilarious thing is that RFF were joking about an Amazing Race Canada when they were getting the sightings for this leg. It's also as a result of Canada not having its own Amazing Race at this point, one of the most spoiled legs of the entire season. In fact, the elimination of this episode was very well known. Well, yeah, because Amazing Race is really popular in Canada. I mean, as soon as the, the Canadian version started, it's been the number one show on Canadian TV every single season that airs for that year. That's amazing. It was so spoiled, in fact, that one of the route markers from this leg actually got cancelled at the last minute. Because RFF knew about it. Oh, really? I didn't know that. They were meant to visit the uh, the Olympic Cauldron at Chapel Plaza. And uh, there were filming permits and producers there and cameras set up there. And fans found out about it because someone in the press leaked it. And they ended up cancelling it because of safety concerns. What, there were hundreds of people there? Yeah. And Peach actually had to issue a warning that they needed to stop leaking the locations of this leg in case it got entirely cancelled. Oh, they were on the verge of cancelling the whole Vancouver leg. Yeah, she was. She suspected that they were on the verge of cancelling the whole Vancouver leg. Just because there were too many Amazing Race fans in Vancouver. Yeah, just because it was getting too spoiled and um, making it difficult for production. And in fact, spoilers for next leg, Banff was also known that they were going there, but they actually had to redact the location in case people started following them around Banff, because Banff is a lot, lot smaller than Vancouver is. Yeah. It's kind of funny when they when Grant says, oh... This coastal coastal city hosted the last Winter Olympics. I'm thinking, geez, it's been a while since this season. Because we've had Sochi, Pyeongchang, and Beijing since then. Yeah. Do you know why they specifically mentioned the Winter Olympics slogan? Uh, was I'm trying to think. Well, if they were supposed to go to the cauldron, then why wouldn't they have? There is a specific reason they did it, especially in this episode. Oh, because this aired during the... Was it because of the Summer Olympics? that were Because the next episode was what started the three-episode chain leading to the end that aired during the Summer Olympics, right? This was the last episode to air before they took a three-week break for the Summer Olympics. Uh... And in fact, as Logan said, they span it as finals week and had three episodes airing on the same week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, to finish off the season. That sounds like a Bo Ryan thing to do. Yeah. The hilarious joke was, of course, that they only dubbed it Finals Week to be able to claim that Lucy and Amelia made it to Finals. I wouldn't be surprised. It's like, well, who's going to watch after Lucy and Amelia go home? I think most people listening to this know that Lucy and Amelia don't make it out of Canada, sadly. So previously, seven teams continued racing through Cuba. Grace had a smashing time at the detail, but an unaired must-vote U-turn put Sticky and Sam to the back of the pack, despite their unaired express pass. The twins and James and Sarah got frustrated, but Paul and Steve won yet another leg. Sticky and Sam were the ones who checked in last and were eliminated from the race. The thing that I did forget to mention when it came to the Cuba recaps is that this season also set a record for the earliest use of its final non-elimination. I was gonna, I was gonna say that, like I was almost gonna interrupt you just to mention that that we forgot to mention that last episode that starting with the last Cuba leg. It's all consecutive eliminations until the end of the season. In the first 11 years of Amazing Race, no season had ever done its last non-elimination episode 
at final seven. And that's why Lucy and Amelia can get so deep with such a terrible average. Yeah. I mean, arguably, Lucy and Amelia were only saved by one of them, and it wasn't in anyone in production's control, really. But yeah, the front-loading of the non-eliminations definitely helped certain teams of this season. And I believe the first time they use up the final NEL at Final 7 for the American version is Season 31, right? I would have to check. So teams were moved to the Capitol building in Havana during their rest period, and it's Paul and Steve leaving at 12.08am, Shane and Andrew at 12.23, Michelle and Joe at 12.35, James and Sarah at 2.01, Lucy and Amelia at 2.17, and Joseph and Grace at 3.22am. My suspicion is that it was a rather long pit stop given that this bit of the season takes about five days of the filming schedule, and they were on the race for about two of those days. Really? I mean, they had a pretty good rest on the plane because the flight seemed to be nine hours, wasn't it? It was ten and a half hours from Paris to Havana, and I don't know how long it is to, to do the Canada bit of the flights, but... Well, that's they actually went the exact same route that I did because you can't go Havana to Vancouver at all. So I also had to do Havana to Toronto, then Toronto to Vancouver, Vancouver mm. to Kelowna. So I think Havana to Toronto, that's probably a four or five hour flight. And then they would have had a decent layover. And then it's about four and a half to five hours to fly from Toronto to Vancouver. Yeah. And the worst part is people don't really know this but Havana airport is not the most comfortable airport to be in they just have some fans going they don't have it's not a it's not a comfortable place to be so it's not exactly a re- an airport to be relaxing waiting for your flight oh and Paul and Steve have the infamous debate if Toronto is in Canada well it would be funny if they had the same language conversation like they did about Cuba. What do they speak in Cuba? Spanish? No, probably Cuban. Well, they speak in Canada. English? No, probably Canadian. Yeah, I was going to say, it goes back to Michelle's discussion last episode about how maybe Australians aren't as up on their North American history or geography as they probably should be. And Michelle has the amusing confessional to foreshadow the future of Amazing Race Australia by saying, we want to be the first all-girl team to win the Amazing Race Australia. I know. I heard that and went, well, that still hasn't happened, love. Can I point out this came off the back of only one team ever having won the Amazing Race Australia. Exactly. It's not really (laughs) record-breaking if you're the second team. No. And I was thinking in general... There hasn't been many all-female winners for a very long time in international Persians. So teams must now fly to Vancouver, Canada and find Stanley Park's totem poles where they will receive a blessing from a chief and their next clue. Are they supposed to dance with them? It looked really awkward. It's not like, you know, when we have the Aboriginal welcome here, they all stand still, they watch, they listen, and then they get their clue. But these guys are dancing around like birds. What was that? I had the same thought, Michelle. I'm not sure whether they were meant to do it. And Grace was very much getting into it. I was like, I, I'm pretty sure this isn't respectful. <laughs> I know I've never had that experience at all when, we, when there's First Nation ceremonies and activities at various events. 
I can never recall a time where you're expected to try and imitate the First Nations dancers. So, yeah. no, I don't. I don't think this was the most cultural. Uh, the their heart was in the right place. I felt uncomfortable watching it. I was like, "Stop it! Just, just watch." Yeah, and I will also say one of many times I'm going to say this. I have been to the totem poles at Stanley Park. In fact, I think we probably went there together, Logan. Yeah, I think so too. It'll have been one of those situations where I'm like, yeah, I'm in Vancouver, I want to visit all the amazing race locations that have been here. Um, let's go to Stanley Park. Let's find some totem poles. And and according to Sarah, apparently, I, I didn't know this, but totem poles are the things that we have to climb up. <laughs> Is she thinking of trees? <laughs> <laughs> Just a regular tree. There's no shortage of those in Vancouver. It very much isn't, especially in Stanley Park. In fact, fun fact, my uh, my wallpaper on my work laptop is still a bridge at Stanley Park from the last time I was there in 2017. Well, you must really like that picture. Oh, it's a very pretty picture, that's why. I'm a sucker for my own photography, that's the difference. At least pictures are free. Unlike a lot of things in Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My friend uh, that I graduate university with, he's also uh, he's a travel vlogger, and... He lived in Vancouver briefly, but he didn't stay there long because, again, really expensive. So you know how a lot of travel vloggers will do the, what can $10 get you in this city? So he did that in Vancouver. And I think he spent 5 or $6 of it on a hot dog from Costco. And he's like, yeah, you can get a hot dog from Costco. And then if you crumple up the wrapper into a ball, you can kick it around like a soccer ball. So James and Sarah are fighting so much that they have to do separate confessionals. Yes, jeez. <laughs> In case you didn't know that they're going to have a bit of trouble this like. And Lucy and Amelia finally talk about their running for mum t-shirts and their mum fighting cancer. And they say that just like fighting cancer, being on The Amazing Race is all about having the right attitude. And I think if there's anything you can say about Lucy and Amelia throughout the first two thirds of this season, they definitely have the right attitude. Yep. Taking everything in their stride. The ticket counters at Havana Airport only open at 6am, and while Paul is trying to book tickets, Joseph just butts in and starts trying to talk to the agent himself, which is incredibly rude. Yeah, and then then Joseph says, well, I wasn't doing anything. Why are you overreacting? Come on, man. Yeah, I mean, unlike Paul allegedly pushing his sister, it's actually on camera. We know that you were in the wrong here. I think, though, if you, I got the impression then that if him and Paul went head-to-head for any discussion or argument that Paul would definitely win. I just, he looked a bit sheepish after Paul said something to him. Yeah, if they fought, Paul would fuck him up. Let's be real. Paul would win any fight with Joseph, despite Joseph having a jiu-jitsu background, as we found out in uh, in Turkey. I was talking about a verbal fight, though. I wasn't talking about physical I know you were, but I would put money on Paul in both a verbal and physical fight here. Joseph's only chance is to pull guard on the ground and go for a submission. And then and then Paul's fight IQ is in the top 2% of the population, so he wouldn't fall for a submission attempt. However, it's all for nothing because everyone's on a flight arriving at 4.56pm, which is the most specific time we've heard all season long for a flight. Pacific time or specific time? Specific time. <laughs> James and Sarah get their first dose of Canadian hospitality when they try and get a taxi as it comes around the corner, but they have to wait in line. It's only polite. 
You know, you can't, you can't just, you can't just run out and grab a taxi. You're crazy. You, you gotta, you gotta queue up like everybody else. And she doesn't even apologize like a true Canadian. Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. It's the most un-Canadian thing we see all like. My favorite is Paul talking to the driver and saying, "Oh, do you know Stanley Park? Do you know the Eiffel Tower? Do you know the Great Pyramids?" Stanley <laughs> Park, for context, Michelle is probably the most famous tourist attraction in the entirety of Vancouver. Right, so it's like, uh, you know, the Opera House. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Vancouver itself as a city is weird because it's actually three or four cities put together. I think six now. (laughs) The Skytrain keeps growing in length. (laughs) It's like five or six cities put together, but in terms of actual Vancouver, there is nothing more iconic, I would say, than Stanley Park. Okay. Try and think what all counts as Vancouver now. You got Vancouver, North Vancouver, Richmond, Langley, Burnaby, Surrey, Westminster. Did I already did I already say Langley? Yeah. Yep. And then and then they're trying to extend the SkyTrain out to Abbotsford and then they link the buses to White Rock, where my brother lived for quite a while. And Amelia shows off her Canadian knowledge by saying Vancouver is the home of Anne of Green Gables and Brian Adams. Logan Saunders, where's Anne of Green Gables from? Uh, not anywhere near Vancouver. Correct answer, PEI. And where's it's... Brian Adams from? I don't give a... <laughs> I don't give a damn about Brian Adams. <laughs> he is from Kingston, Ontario. Oh, yeah, I knew it was somewhere shitty. Famously not the city of Vancouver. As much as I love you, Amelia, I winced and had to rewind a couple of times to make sure I got your list correct. Could have gone with like Nelly Furtado, at least she's from BC. But Brian Adams, I'm thinking, oh Amelia, you, you deserve a four hour penalty just for that. To be assessed immediately. Shannon and Andrew are the first to arrive at Stanley Park with Joseph and Grace in second, and after the ceremony, they find out that they must grab two paddles and travel on foot to the Vancouver Rowing Club to search for their next clip. And we don't even find out how much money they actually got for this leg, which is a worry because it yeah, would have been very enough. interesting to find out. Seven hundred dollars. <laughs> and the fun thing is, of course, when they get to the rowing club, they find out there's an hours of operation, which is eight thirty a.m. to four thirty p.m. Which means they have to find a hotel room to pay for for the night. Yep, because normally teams would just find somewhere to sleep outside, but it was getting down to one degree in Vancouver on that day that they filmed. Yeah, you can't be outside in Vancouver in December. Well, actually, some some sometimes you can, but... They would have frozen. <laughs> and at 8.20am, everyone except James and Sarah have already arrived at the rowing club, and they argue in the cab from the hotel about why they were late and whether it was Sarah putting her entire face of makeup on or not. Did you hear what James said? That he said that the alarm was set for 90 minutes prior, and they were, and they're still late? Um, he was very reserved. He was very controlled in that cab then. <laughs> he knew that there was going to be a huge argument about it, and he just didn't want it to derail the leg. But look at the other arguments, and it's it's morning rush hour in Vancouver, because Sarah doesn't give up on an argument until they're at the following route marker, as we've seen in multiple instances in Paris and Dubai. So he's probably thinking, well... It's a bit of a traffic jam, so if I cuss Sarah out now, she's not going to give up whatever her position is about why we're late until we get to the rowing club. The interesting thing I found 
was that the clue said they had to travel on foot to the Vancouver Rowing Club, and yet production knew it was an hours of operation. And I don't know why. Just to make them scramble, I guess, just for their own amusement? Yeah, but if you're going to say you've got to travel there on foot, then in theory, teams have also got to travel there on foot from their respective hotels. But then it would have been way too far, I guess. Another thing I'm curious about is if all the teams got a room at the same hotel or, or if they were all spread out, because maybe that's more the reason why James and Sarah ran out of money is because they stayed in a more expensive hotel than uh, other teams. Yeah, because it was yeah. the best Western they stayed in. In Vancouver, on average, you're paying $200 per person per night at a hotel. Yeah, especially going up to the desk and saying, can I have a room for tonight, please? Yeah, if you're doing a walk-in, yeah, because then there's no disc- There's typically no discount. Although James and Sarah have somehow get a discount on it. Instead of $200, it's now $165. And when teams get into the rowing club, they now have a choice, which is either head to the Nicole Sleeth Art Studio and claim a fast-forward, or continue on for the active route info. No matter what it is, Paul and Steve are always going to go for the fast-forward, and Shane and Andrew also decide to compete with them for it. It's four dudes competing to be nude. <laughs> what would you have thought if you'd read that clue? I would have thought, like like Paul did, tattoo. Yeah, because the thing is, a lot of this season especially, and part of the reason why this season's so fantastic, is they have a habit of making teams rip open a roadblock or a detour clue and not actually have to go to the location yet. So you see it with the roadblock in this leg, where they finish their detour and immediately open the roadblock clue. They have no idea where they're going for it or what it's going to be, which is something you never usually see in Amazing Race. Sorry, I thought you meant the fast forward. Oh, I, d- I did, but I'm getting I'm getting to the point about the fast forward. Yeah. The point about the fast forward is the only other time they've done tattoos, at least in the English language version, is... Um, season 12. It's season 12, yeah. Where they dubbed it a traditional seafaring uh, experience. And I don't think they told them they were going to a tattoo shop in that case. I think if it was going to be tattoos knowing how they've structured this season with stuff like the roadblock example that I used, I think they would have got them to go to a different location and then said, head around the corner to this tattoo studio and get a tattoo to get your fast forward. Mm, Maybe. Because if you just read art studio, you don't really work out what it's going to be. Because at this point in Amazing Race history, only one other season, which is one of the Hammerers ones, has ever used the life during fast forward. So there isn't that historical context to it. And there's a there's a moral argument as to whether you can force people to get tattoos and all that sort of stuff as well. Yeah. I'm not sure any season would ever do the tattoo fast forward again. It's been done twice and I don't think it will be done a third time. Well, we don't even see fast forwards anymore. No, but I mean, if they were ever going to do a fast forward, I think it would be something far more innocuous than doing a tattoo or even the life drawing. I don't think they'd do life drawing anymore. Especially after what happened with Suki and Jinder. In the Canadian version, they definitely wouldn't do it. I don't know if the memo would get across to the other franchises, especially when Amazing Race Australia has... They they did a nude fast-forward not too long ago, right? In For season five? Yeah, they did the uh, the nude run in the sea. Oh, yeah. But I think the American version especially has always been a little bit pearl-clutchy about nudity and anything that the children might see, whereas Australia and Canada have I've always had that slight more rebellious streak that I think it requires for you to be able to do a a nudity-related fast-forward. 
the closest they've ever got was the making them run in their underwear in Siberia, I think. Yeah. I think that got a bit of backlash, actually, at the time. Really? I think people weren't very happy about them um, being forced to strip down to their underwear on television, yeah. Jeez, that's America for you. (laughs) You can decapitate somebody on PG in a PG movie, but... Heaven forfend the children might see a little bit of tit. But yeah, I think it's unlikely you'd ever see the tattoo fast forward just because people wouldn't want to necessarily harm their bodies for uh, for light entertainment, especially in America again. And I certainly don't think you'd see a nudity fast forward in America. Hell, America wouldn't even let Sarah on. Sarah would need to be covered up. They certainly wouldn't have advertised this season with uh, Sarah showing up her ass crack, like <laughs> Australia did for about four weeks. Yeah, it's normal. It was the only advert that went out for weeks of this show. So good. So teams who don't go for the fast forward must kayak to the Harbour Green Park dock on the other side of the harbour and decipher a nautical phrase using the flags on a yacht to receive their next clue. Grace is tempted to go for the fast forward too, but Joseph tells her she's not getting a choice in this. Yeah, she's not allowed to make decisions anymore. Yeah, it's a real shame because we could have had a hilarious moment between her and Joseph realising they have to get nude in front of each other and having the episode title being called Our Parents or Disowners or whatever. Sukiyam Jin does one more. Mm. Um, Michelle says it's zero degrees outside and she doesn't want to be wet all day, which is a beautiful foreshadowing quote for the detour. <laughs> and Joseph and Grace do something generous here by helping Lucy into the kayak. They do. Well, specifically Joseph does. I think Lucy and Amelia are the sort of people who get on with everyone and just want everyone to get along. So I think yeah. they have nice relationships with everyone, which is probably why they didn't get any votes on the Musfelt U-turn. Do I think that Joseph would do that for many other teams? Probably not. The other thing, too, is we're approaching the end game. Lucy and Amelia have never finished above fifth place through eight rounds of play. Who do you want with you in the final three? hmm, I'll help Lucy and Amelia do whatever they need to do this round. Especially for Joseph and Grace, where helping Lucy and Amelia means that's one more step to ensure James and Sarah are going home. Yeah, Lucy and Amelia have that lethal combination of being maybe slightly inept at certain parts of The Amazing Race and also being really nice to be around. So it's one of those things where you go, oh yeah, I'd actually quite like to just be around them because they're nice. But also I'd like to be around them because it's at least a free episode where we're going to not get eliminated. And this is the second episode in a row that uh, goes all nautical. And we also get a wonderful foreshadowing quote from Lucy when she says she can't stand cold water and she needs to get in second, which is a shame. And then Sarah realises that they didn't pay for their hotel and they argue in the cab about whether to turn around now or later. What would you have done? You've got to turn around now. Yeah, why? did why? Because, let's be real about it, James and Sarah were going to run out of money as soon as that happened anyway. But the sooner you realise and turn around, the less money it's going to cost you in a cab. Yeah. Do you think production prompted Sarah to say, hey, you didn't pay for your hotel, so please say it. Please say it for the camera. Yeah, I think at that point they probably, probably had to, because by the time that they finished the the task and then turned around or whatever, then it probably would have been getting close to checkout time. And they would have had to put a credit card down or some sort of safety, I presume. It would have been funnier if they just didn't go back and just see what happens. They might have got a penalty for that. 
I assume it would be a four-hour penalty where they say, yeah, you kind of made us pay $500 for your hotel room in Vancouver, so we're giving you a four-hour penalty. But I was just thinking, just cringing, knowing it's full swing with rush hour in Vancouver at that time. And they would have been in a really busy part of Vancouver, too. And cabs are so, so expensive in Vancouver. Michael, is that the most expensive place you've been with hiring a cab? Well, I don't do cabs out of choice. No. Being brutally honest about it. <laughs> so I, I don't think we actually did do a, uh, a cab in Vancouver. Well, we, I know we did, one, we did one when we met up. Did we? Mum and Dad was yeah. paid for it. I never, <laughs> I never dealt with it. It's just annoying. Like, they just kept going in the cab. Why on earth, when she first said it, didn't they turn around then? It's just really annoying. She's got rocks in her head. <laughs> the annoying thing is I can't even uh, remember what the, the hotel name was, so uh, I can't check whereabouts it was. But I can't imagine it was that far to the Vancouver Rowing Club for them. Because it's Vancouver Rowing Club is on the south bit of Stanley Park. Yeah, they would still have to try and get onto a road to turn around, fight through the traffic some more, go into the hotel, figure out what the bill is, and then they were looking up nautical flags too and getting it printed in black and white. And try. they were probably arguing over the rate too to not spend as much as they were hoping because were they going to be completely out of money if they paid the full cost of the hotel room? It would have been close, I think. Had like 50 cents or 80 cents. Can you try me 15 minutes across Vancouver, please? So I've actually found the the hotel that they stayed in, and it's miles away. It's the other side of Stanley Park. Wow. Well, that's why they showed up so much later, too, because every team was gone except for Lucy and Amelia at the nautical task, right? Like, even Shane and Andrew were gone, and that was after they were chasing down cabs for the fast forward. So they stayed two and a half kilometers away from the rowing club. Touristy, yeah, Stanley Park area, I can picture it. Yeah, that's a and minimum fare starts. Yeah, yeah, they wasted a they wasted a lot of money, the, the least amount of money they could waste. But yeah, at the time of recording, it would have taken them seven minutes to get there in a cab at like three thirty p.m. or whatever it is on a on a Wednesday afternoon, and it only taken twenty one minutes to walk. It's actually only one and a half kilometers to walk. And I've walked a very similar route to that to to get to Stanley Park. Like, they shouldn't have taken a cab in the first place. Yeah, because they would have been stopped by lights and everything. They absolutely should not have taken a cab here. You need to save your money for stuff like going to Grass Mountain and going to wherever the the detail was. I can't imagine doing that all by cab around Vancouver. So everyone struggles to find a cab, but Paul and Steve are the first to grab one. And Shane and Andrew even offer to pay for someone to get out of their cab. Yeah. That tactic somehow never works on the Amazing Race. We've seen it tried a lot. No, especially when Shane and Andrew try using the age-old tactic of, I'm in a race. I like how he pointed to his fanny pack of all things to indicate he was in a race. See, see this fanny pack? Doesn't this say, I'm in a freaking hurry to you? Yeah, the best thing about that is it's not one of the American ones where it actually has the race flag on it. It's just a random penny pack. Yeah, It's a plain black one. <laughs> Point at the camera crew, not at your fanny pack. Shane and Andrew then decide to just head back to the rowing club because Paul and Steve are going to get ahead of them and win whatever the task is. 
and they say in their cab on the way to the art studio they have a suspicion that it's tattoos, which wouldn't be a problem for Steve, but they are committed to each other. If Steve does the task, Paul will as well. Which is a pretty big competitive commitment, I have to say. Yeah. I don't know whether I would do it. It's not, look, if they do a tattoo, it's not going to be huge anyway. Yeah, it's like a Mike Tyson face tattoo. You want the fast forward? <laughs> it's a uh, it's a Fear Factor style one where they've got to get a bat tattoo of Grant Bowler. One of them's got to get the Amazing Race logo, one of them's got to get a picture of Grant Bowler. I love the logo, please. <laughs> yeah, they don't get to choose. <laughs> and they're not specifically told that the active written info to use the flags on the dock is the key. Lucy and Amelia are the first to see them and think that Made in Sri Lanka and 100% Nylon are actually helpful details. I am really surprised at them this leg. Being teachers, really surprised that they didn't get that code quicker. Yeah, they struggled here, just understanding the task, and it was Michelle and Joe who were onto it like that. Yeah, Michelle and Joe really impressed me in this leg, I have to say. I think the correct move here was to not go for the fast forward too, especially when a team doesn't show up for hours of operation, because then you're thinking, hmm, something really screwy happened. Why would I risk going for the fast forward and giving them a chance to make up a significant amount of time? The only danger with that is them getting there an hour behind or whatever and going, yeah, we might as well try the fast forward route anyway. And if the fast forward's completely unattended, then they win the leg. But just like knowing that, like if you're if you're Shane and Andrew, I guess, and you see Paul and Steve go for it, at least Shane and Andrew weren't stubborn enough to the point that they got into a cab and hoped that they would get to the studio first. And by the way, I guess this is the time when I should point out that I tried to look up the address for the studio because I was trying to figure out how much time Shane and Andrew wasted, and I found out that the studio moved to Victoria, so there was no record of where the address was in Vancouver. So when I was working on the Tarstorian blog, I actually emailed the studio and she got a response saying, oh yeah, I remember doing that for the Amazing Race Australia about 10 years ago. Yeah, this was our address in Vancouver at the time. That brings back fond memories. Thank you for emailing me. (laughs) So then I was able to get the exact address and figure out how much time Shane and Andrew wasted trying to compete for the, if they were to go all the way to the studio and have to backtrack to the rowing club. Yeah, it was about three and a half kilometers. 3.65 3.65 according to uh, the Wikipedia. Plus in Vancouver, you don't just go out in the street and hail a cab like it's New York City. I, they could have been riding around for a bit of time. Why? What's wrong with cabs there? Well, just you normally just call for a cab in Vancouver. I can't think of anybody who just walks out into the street and whistles like it's Seinfeld. Really? Oh, we do that. We still do that here. The complicating factor as well is the fact that the rowing club is right on the south end of Stanley Park, where you're not going to get that much tourist traffic at 8.30 in the morning. In December. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be fairly tough to find a cab at 8.30 in the morning at the south of Stanley Park, I would say. Yeah, you would find joggers and cyclists, you're not going to find cabs. Yeah, especially the bit of Stanley Park they were in, where you've still got about a 10 or 15 minute walk just to get to civilization. Yeah. James and Sarah do go back to the hotel, and they don't have any more cash, really, to do any more taxis this leg, so just hope and pray that they're going to be doing self-driving. I just saw them have coins by the end, and I was thinking, ooh. <laughs> oh, man. They are screwed. <laughs> when you start whipping out the loonies and the toonies, you are a little bit screwedies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Joseph and Grace actually have some good tactics here and run to the seaplane office nearby and get a drink, evidently, because Grace has a glass of water. And the guy who helps them and gives them a, um, a guide to nautical flags looks awfully like Logan's Crush Davy. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He's the spitting image of Davy from Belkia. <laughs> that's awesome. And the best thing is, he's not even the only person in this episode who looks like someone from uh, Belkia, South Africa. Because one of the artists looks a lot like Robin. We get a close-up from him, and he looks awfully like Robin. It's the crossover episode we never thought we were getting. So the fast-forward is posing nude for an art class. However, unlike the Canadian version, it is not intertwined in a position of your choice. When the students have finished their sketches, the team who win the fast-forward will skip all remaining tasks and go directly to the pit stop. Now, did you notice after I mentioned in episode 7 that Paul and Steve were both wearing their Wild Waddy rash guards? No. They're both wearing them, and at least two other teams in the detour are wearing their rashies underneath their uh, lumberjack costumes. Extra warmth. It's a game of spot the rashie this season. And they need to get nude as fast as possible in case the cops do it faster than they do, and they get screwed, basically. Um, love the placement of pineapples. In it's so this. clever. The only thing that could have made it better is if they did the Canadian route of saying, yeah, pick one of these four poses and then tell them they're getting nude. <laughs> yeah, gender had the benefit of the this taking place during the summer. Paul and Steve are having to do this in December. <laughs> so James and Sarah get a super duper discount on their room and also get the guy at reception to print them off a guide to the nautical flags. However, as we find out later in the episode... It is black and white, which doesn't help. And James says, it's okay, it's fine. I'm like, no, it's not fine. And after me mentioning a pub quiz on a cruise last episode, I'm going to have to do it again, because there was a cruise that we took from Hong Kong to Singapore in 2015, where one of the afternoon activities on an at-sea day was identifying countries' flags. The complicating factor of this was the fact that the idiots in charge of it had done them all in black and white. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and she ended up having to describe at least three or four of the 20 flags that were on this sheet because she hadn't printed them in colour. Yeah, because it'd be like probably the tri-colours, right? Horizontally or vertically. Yeah. <laughs> yep. We had tricolours in both directions. We had a couple of other ones where... There's some Nordic crosses and stuff where it would have been rather helpful if we'd had the colour versions of those flags. Oh yeah, for like the Scandinavian ones. Could be Finland, could be Norway, could be Sweden, could be Switzerland, not Switzerland, Denmark, Iceland. That was also the same cruise that we were asked the iconic trivia question, which two countries border Switzerland? Uh... And if you're listening at home and thinking... <laughs> two countries bordering Switzerland? The correct answer is, yes, there are at least five. Yes, I'm thinking, well, I was thinking four, and I'm like, it's got to be more than two. Yeah, it is more than two, and the woman running the quiz did argue with us over it. She's like, oh, my roommate's from Switzerland, and she told me this question. I'm like, yeah, she's probably from one deliberate bit of Switzerland where it borders two countries. There are at least five. She's probably from that Three Bridges area where France, France, Germany, and Switzerland converge. Yeah, because I, I believe Austria, Liechtenstein, and Italy also border Switzerland. So that makes at least five. Oh. So Shane and Andrew arrive quickly and work out the 26 flag clue very quickly. 
Shell and Joe are the first to leave it, though, and find out that it is a detour, which is toss or tumble, which are two activities that Logan regularly gets up to. In toss, teams must throw an axe at a log target from six metres away. When they've landed ten axes, they will receive their next clue from the Canadian Axe Throwing Champion. And in tumble, teams must run on a log and do ten revolutions to get their next clue from the Canadian Log Rolling Champion. It's just like a Mason Race Canada, they always get champions of random sports involved. Yeah, apparently there is nothing better to do in North Vancouver on a uh, on a Monday afternoon than throw some axes and run some logs. I'm surprised that a couple of the teams didn't even know what log rolling was. I would see that and run a mile and think, right, what is the other challenge? I'm doing that. <laughs> the problem is you would run a mile and the log would continue rolling, Michelle. Exactly. <laughs> you just wouldn't get anywhere. You'd try and run to the X zone, but Yeah, I'm still on it. You've done a hundred rotations, you're done. <laughs> I get the uh, the fun chance to do some axe throwing with work next month as well. Oh. Taking us on an away day and doing axe throwing, which is gonna be interesting. You should use Sarah's technique. Watch throw it horizontally and take some people's heads off. <laughs> yeah. See if you can decapitate five people's heads in one swing. Yeah, the problem is I'm one of the only people who don't drink, and therefore, people are going to be mixing alcohol with axe throwing. It's going to end badly. And Paul did actually make me laugh when he says that a lot of people have seen him naked, but not in a painting, artistic kind of way. So he was in an orgy? He's just playing up to the cameras now, but it is still hilarious. And in one of my favourite editing jokes in this entire season, the editors are very mean to them and show one of the artists having to look down at her glasses Squint. after they take their robes off, which is very, very mean from them, I have to say. Yeah. I can barely see it. It's an, is it. Is it even there? I'm sure, watching at home, Paul and Steve were very appreciative of that happening. Ah, I guess he has a second belly button. Andrew tries to fill in the words, but he's wrong. Joseph and Grace have a guide, so just basically read it. Shane and Andrew leaving second with Joseph and Grace in third. And as we said, the problem for James and Sarah is that their flags are in black and white, which makes it slightly more difficult. But luckily for them, they do realise that all the flags are laid out on the dock as well. When Joseph and Grace choose the toss task, I like the logic because Joseph says, well, we're going to choose this one because I can just get all ten axes and Grace could get zero and we would still get the clue. Grace can do literally nothing. She can make axe angels. And Lucy and Amelia leave in fourth, with James and Sarah left fighting and in last. Michelle and Joe get to tumble, and Joe goes right under the water almost immediately. Then Paul and Steve complete the fast-forward, and find out the teams must now head to Crab Park, the pit stop for this leg of the race. The last team to check in may be eliminated. It's not a good follow-up when Paul says, uh, A lot of people have, have been with me naked. And then the next place he has to go is is a place called Crab Park. And it's like, well, Paul, maybe you, you shouldn't have had as many sexual partners as you have, because then you wouldn't have to go to Crab Park. Have you been to Crab Park? No, I have not. I have. Oh, good for you. <laughs> I sought it out. It's, um, it's right around the corner from Gastown. Oh, okay, okay. And more importantly, it's in a bit of a rough area. Well, Gastown in general is a rough area. Yeah, it's a little bit of a shithole. Crab Park is quite nice. I walked through Crab Park. But the area around Crab Park is a little bit of a shithole. I um, I remember walking to the Skytrain station that's right next to Crab Park, and um, there was a lot of graffiti, shall we say. And it stank of piss. Mm, nice. Well, 
Gastown has lots of really cool bars, but then you are really close to, say, uh, East Hastings Street, which is the most notorious street in all of Canada. It is. In fact, I seem to remember that you you specifically warned me about East Hastings Street when you found out where we were staying in Vancouver when we met up. <laughs> yeah, because you were pretty close to it. We were. In fact, the three times that I've stayed in um, in Vancouver, I think two of them we stayed near Gastown, and yeah, Hastings Street did make me laugh every time. Gastown is called that because it's famous for a uh, a clock that is steam powered, and there were a lot of like steam factories and stuff around there. Mm. I'm giving Michelle context because she's never been there. Thank you. And Paul and Steve also decide to tell their taxi driver that they just posed naked. And he was very thrilled by it. I think he was. I think he's looking online to buy the painting. <laughs> Shane and Andrew, when they get to their detour, obviously sing Monty Python's Lumberjack song, and they say, "As police officers, we're always looking at targets." Given the last couple of years of police officers, that quote has not aged well. Once again, Paul and Steve, Shane and Andrew, Michelle and Joe, completely clawbrain the other teams again. Yeah, I mean, there is no intrigue whatsoever as to who the top three and who the bottom three of this episode is going to be. And for the toss detour, they have 40 shots and need to land 10 of them. Michelle and Joe finally get the hang of doing tumble, and by the hang of it, I of course mean do one rotation each and then get dunked in the uh, freezing cold water. Yeah, that also made me cringe too. That had to be so cold. You, you'd just be motivated to keep spinning on the log just so you didn't have to fall in the cold water. Yeah, because the high temperature-wise was 5 degrees, the low was 1 degree. But of course, as we well know, water tends to be a bit colder than the actual air temperature. Especially in December in Vancouver. I have been to Vancouver in November and it was cold enough. Shane and Andrew leave Toss in second, and they find out the next clue is immediately a roadblock, which is who can reach the sky. In this roadblock, teams must head to Grouse Mountain, where one team member must climb on top of the cable car and grab three flags along the three-kilometre route up the mountain. If they fail to grab any of the flags, they have to start again, and they have three attempts before they have to take a four-hour penalty. I like how on top is capitalised and underlined in the clue. And I'm also led to believe that this cable car was the filming location of an X-Files episode where one of them gets possessed by aliens or something. I don't know, I read it on RFF earlier. Interesting. They film a lot of TV shows and movies around Vancouver. They very much do. Pretty much all of the... um, The Arrowverse shows, for example, were filmed in Vancouver not so long ago. And about 10% of the Masonry's Canada episodes are filmed in Vancouver. Yep. And it is Shane, Michelle, Grace, Amelia, and Sarah doing this roadblock. Michelle and Joe leave Tumble in third, and they are quite visibly still wearing their Wild Waddy rashies. And Joseph actually hits the metal structure on Toss, and sparks literally fly. Really? I didn't see it. Yeah, the sparks in the bottom left corner when Joseph does his first shot. Terribly, may I add. Paul and Steve then check into the pit stop in first, and they win 10,000 didgeridolaroos cash. They're doing very well for themselves. Yeah, they've won, depending on how you categorise the double-end leg or keep on racing, they've won up to five legs on the trot now. Yeah. That's the record, right? Yeah, I don't think any team has won six on the trot or more. I did the stats on that once, who had the longest winning streaks in the Maze Race history. And I think it's just Paul and Steve and maybe a team from Amazing Race Philippines. Yeah, Mark and Kat had a pretty long streak as well. 
What did um, Justin, Justin and Diana have? Do they have five? Yep, they had five. Yeah, we we don't acknowledge Justin and Diana on this podcast, though. <laughs> I do. <laughs> on the off chance Justin ends up listening to this, I love you really, Justin. You know I do. <laughs> oh, Valerie and uh, Bodana? Maybe they won five in a row in uh, Amazing Race Ukraine? The interesting bit about Paul and Steve's check-in is that despite saying they'd only won three on the trot in the last leg, Grant does say they've won five on the trot now. So presumably Michael McKay had a little word in his ear going, yeah, we're categorising that as a keep on racing. It's not a double end leg this time. He jumps straight from three to five when he's talking about Paul and Steve's winning streak. James and Sarah then leave the kayak challenge in last and they jump in a cab with basically no money left. They had $25 left, I think, for the ride to the detour. Yep. Which is, can I point out, 10 kilometers away from their own club. And it was $25 that they had, and the fare cost $75. So bad. Because the last three bits of this leg are 10.2 kilometers to the Learning Lodge, where the detail happens, then 5.2 kilometers to Grouse Mountain, and then 10 kilometers from there to Crab Park. Lucy and Amelia do stereotypical Western accents when they've changed the detour. And when they saw the log in the icy cold water, Lucy says she wanted to run for the hills and find a bear to wrestle. <laughs> and being perfectly honest, when they start venturing into the national parks of Canada next episode, that is not out of the question. That would be great to see Lucy wrestle a bear. I'll probably mention this again next episode, but when we went to Jasper National Park and went on a walk, we did see a signs warning of bear cubs being left in trees. What? Apparently it's the thing that mother bears, when they go hunting, leave their bear cubs up in trees, and the bear cubs have been known to fall on people, just like their facehuggers from Alien. Oh my god, like drop bears in Australia. They actually are real drop bears. <laughs> it was also a couple of days after we went to Banff, a report that on the golf course of the Fairmont at Banff Springs, they had a bear that was playing with one of the flags. Oh, cute. A grizzly business. Yeah. Cute. From a distance. Yeah. Because it will tear your arms off and hit you with the soggy end. <laughs> it's like Jeanne and I last summer when uh, went around Cow Park and Jeanne had never seen a bear up close before. And we had seen the mama bear and the baby bear really close to the main trail where tons and tons of tourists would normally walk. And then she's like, oh, how cute. And I said, no, 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 no. You don't understand. Mama bear, baby bear. We have to slowly back away and find a different route to get back to where we need to be. Cute from a distance. Yes. <laughs> or uh, when I was in high school, we had a substitute teacher in Vernon, and he was just known as the bear guy because he wouldn't really teach at all. He would just be like, kids, you want to hear a bear story? So anytime that he would sub in for a teacher... He would tell a minimum of five bear stories during class. So he's just known like, oh man, did we get the bear guy today as our substitute? <laughs> and then and then the other teachers would say, who the hell is this guy? Who's the bear guy? We're like, we don't know his name. We we just see him and we just know him as the, the guy who tells bear stories all the time. <laughs> and Lucy and Amelia struggle with some <laughs> I've got to get us back on track because yeah. it's five to midnight. <laughs> do have work in the morning yeah so Lisa and Amelia struggle so much that they can't even perform one rotation each and Lucy is yet again wearing her wild wadi rashi Joseph and Grace then leave Toss in fourth 
and James and Sarah's driver inexplicably accepts $22 and agrees to stay for the day. And she says she's thrown plenty of things before, plates and shoes, but only at her exes, which of course James was by this point in the airing of the season. The flags at Grouse Mountain are rather high up, and Shane rips off not just the flag, but the holder in the process. And you know who that would have been really scary for? The cameraman who was perched up there. (laughs) Because genuinely, a cameraman actually had to be perched on top of one of the towers to get the flag-grabbing images. Hope they were paid well. Yeah, because this was one of the many reasons that this leg was spoiled, was the fact that one of the cameramen got a little bit blabby, shall we say, and said that he was going up to Grouse Mountain to film Amazing Race, and they were doing a test there. I'd like to get down now. <laughs> uh, Lucy inspires Amelia as she keeps getting back up, despite you know constantly getting dunked in the water, and Amelia gets the last roll, and they leave Tumble in fifth. And James and Sarah lead Toss in last. Lucy didn't have to, she didn't score a single roll, right? All ten of them were scored by Amelia, so Lucy got hypothermia for no reason whatsoever. But she's an inspiration, and that's all that matters. Yeah. With hypothermia, I nearly died. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) James and Sarah then beg for cash and get five dollars off a couple at the detour. (laughs) I like how they said, we got it from a Chinese couple, and then I have to jump in and say, they're not a Chinese couple. They're a Vancouver couple. Can I also point out, $5 is the lowest value note in Canadian money. Yeah. <laughs> they literally could not have offered less unless it was coins. I guess I won't get that Starbucks coffee today. Shane leaves the roadblock in second and then finds the pit stop clue. And did you also notice that Grace doesn't call Grouse Mountain Grouse Mountain? She calls it Grouse Mountain? She calls it Grace Mountain. Really? Yes. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Shane passes him on the way in and says he hopes that Grace isn't doing the roadblock as she will struggle with her height. And shocker, she struggles with her height. She misses the first flag despite jumping as high as she could. And she misses it a second time and says it's like an adult holding a lollipop out of reach of child. And all I have to say is that, given her behaviour previously in this season, I suspect that nobody said no to her as a child. <laughs> That would be hilarious to see Grant Buller just pull out a gigantic lollipop and dangle it over Grace and just see her just jump up to try and get it. That's something we do with our dog son, Ludo, is hold a treat. Because he's Belgian Malinois, so he can jump really, really high. When he was like three months old and he came around to our garden for the first time, he vaulted over a low wall and they didn't even know he could do it. But when he when he's fully grown, he will easily be able to clear like a six-foot fence. Wow. So it's, it's something we do is we, we hold one of his treats up in the air and see if he can jump up and grab it. Bless him, he can't normally. We saw Michelle twerk after grabbing the final flag at the roadblock. We did, because, of course, the the cameramen on this show are pervs. <laughs> We've seen it a few times this season, especially with Michelle and Joe and Grace, actually. Is the cameramen know where to get their angles? And Lucy, even though she has the fear of heights and they have Amelia always do the heights tasks, Lucy was saying, oh... I think my go-go gadget arms would have come in handy for a task like this. And then, I didn't know this, but I guess uh, Laura Croft from Tomb Raider uh, collects flags on top of Gross Mountain. Apparently uh, so. Yeah. How would you guys have done with this challenge out of interest? Um, I would have loved it. I would have been scared, but I would have found it pretty freaking awesome to do that. Especially on top of the cable cars, like being in an action movie. I think it would have been pretty cool. 
As long as there was no like bungee jump at the end of it, like Amazing Race Canada would love to do. <laughs> yeah. Amazing Race Canada would probably find a way to drop the bottom out of the cable car and make them bungee jump anyway. So if I was strapped in properly, then yeah, with my height and long arms and stuff, it probably wouldn't have been that hard a, a challenge. But also, I'm surprised they weren't allowed to use the ladders. Because they had to climb the ladders to get the second flag. Yeah, but... But surely that's the easiest way to get the first one. But I was thinking about that. I was thinking, if I climbed up the ladder and jumped to get the clue, then there's no guarantee that I'd actually land back on top of the cable car. And because they had to be fairly to the left to get it, and the ladder was sort of in the middle. Yeah, I thought about that and then thought, no, I'd probably just have to jump. But what what I'll say to that is, if you are high up enough, you can probably still hold onto the ladder and lean out. Maybe. Because those cable cars are not going to be hugely wide. They're going to be, at most, mm. probably about 10 feet wide, usually most of those sort of cable cars. Yeah, but you're longer. You've got longer arms than me. I probably still wouldn't be able to reach. I think most people, even of Grace's height, would be able to grab onto the top of the ladder and reach over. Sarah has the correct tactic, which is go as far to the back as possible because it's lower there. Yeah. But no one else does. No one else figures out the actual trick to this challenge. Sarah's quite cluey with things. You don't get to hear much of what she says and thinks, but when she says something like that, it makes you think, oh, she's obviously thinking about everything really well. You just don't get to hear it. She's an underrated strategist, I would say. Especially in this leg. Like, she almost survives the leg purely because she actually thinks about things. Hmm. Yeah, even Lucy and Amelia, when James and Sarah show up to the rowing club, I think it was Amelia who said, We got nervous when James and Sarah showed up to the nautical flag task because they're they're a very intelligent team. Yeah, and the only time they've been at the back of the pack before this was because of the, uh, the Istanbul roadblock. And... Can I also point out, at this point in the season, they are the only team other than Paul and Steve left in the race who have won a leg. Of the final five of this season, Paul and Steve are the only ones who go into leg 10 having won anything. Wow. Because Sticky and Sam won the rest of them. And Ross and Taryn. So James and Sarah, despite obviously being hot messes by their own admission, they are more underrated strategists than you would suspect. Shane and Andrew checking in second, and Grant tells them what the fast forward was, and they say that it was right up their alley whilst obviously laughing and saying, yeah, we're not telling our wives about this. <laughs> Michelle and Joe then checking in third, maintaining their top three record, and James and Sarah give their driver $25 for their $75.40 cab ride, and he lets them go. I sure hope there's no more taxis to go from the middle of nowhere in North Vancouver. <laughs> Hopefully it's walk to the pit stop. Grace finally gets the first flag on her last try and gets the third one too, meaning that they leave in fourth. Sarah almost has uh, Sarah almost has this Shamir moment with saying, "Oh, the harness is going up a strange spot." She's already had something go up that strange spot for uh, the start of the season, so why not do it at the end of her season as well? God, I haven't heard that name in a while, Shamir. And as we said, Sarah's strategy is to stay near the back of the cable car as the flags will be lower at the back. Grace's taxi driver, Douglas, was still running the taxi meter while they were on the mountain, and they are already short even before going to Crab Park. And they have given him $120 and have to beg for more. Jeez. 
I think they compromised eventually at $147 <laughs> instead of $150 because he's like, well, somebody's got to pay me. You don't have a credit card? What the hell? What, what kind of show is this? You should have told me that before you hired me. Why would you do this? These taxis are fairly brutal, and I think this may be why Amazing Race doesn't film in Vancouver very much unless it's Amazing Race Canada. And Amelia is really close to getting a 10-hour penalty for when she starts singing Brian Adams during the roadblock. It really made me laugh at that. (laughs) (laughs) She channels her inner Lucy and her inner mother and uh, psychs herself up, singing Brian Adams to grab her last flag, leaving in fifth with James and Sarah in last. She's just lucky a producer didn't just push her over the ledge and have her fall into Grouse Mountain. The hilarious thing is, of course, Lucy and Amelia are looking for a cab and use the same driver that James and Sarah had, <laughs> and he asks them if they have money. Money, yeah, <laughs> cool's that. That was my favorite thing to point out in the Tarstorian blog when I saw this episode. I'm like, why is the driver asking James if uh, Lucy and Amelia have money through the memo passed around, and then you realize it's the exact same driver yeah. who just got screwed over. He's hanging around still. Well, yeah, because he doesn't have enough money to go elsewhere because he got yeah. so shortchanged by James and Sarah. Joseph and Grace checking in fourth, and James and Sarah have $4.76 left, and the driver needs thirty-one ten. And this driver is the most upset out of all of them. Yeah, he gets rather angry, I have to say. He's like Amazing Race Russian taxi driver level of angry right now. And they actually get to the pit stop before Lucy and Amelia do, despite Lucy and Amelia leaving the red book for them. Maybe that taxi driver was taking out his, his rage by intentionally taking the scenic route to the map, making up for his lost funds. As a result of James and Sarah not having the money, Lucy and Amelia checking in fifth, and Grant actually has to tell them they're doing really well. Well, Amelia's doing really well. I don't, I don't know what Lucy contributed too much during this leg. Yeah, at this point, Amelia's done five roadblocks. Lucy has to do the next two if they make it to leg 11. James and Sarah find a cop who negotiates with the cab driver's office for them to get let off their money, and in exchange for a case of Fosters, he will let them go. Do you think the cop ever got the Fosters? (laughs) Or the cab company? I think nobody in human history has ever actually sincerely asked for a case of Fosters to be sent to them. And of course, this is where Foster's end up sponsoring the podcast, and I have to cut that reference. (laughs) Literally nobody likes Foster's. I don't drink, and I know nobody likes Foster's. And unsurprisingly, James and Sarah checking in last, and are eliminated from the race. And Lucy and Amelia are spared again by a really crazy fluke. And the even worse thing is, I suspect that this may have been the non-elimination that was cancelled because of the salvage pass. What do you mean? So because of the salvage pass being used, they had to cancel another non-elimination leg later in the season. Ah, okay. It can't have been leg two, because obviously that wouldn't have made sense to eliminate a team and then not eliminate on the second leg unless you're Amazing Race Canada. It won't have been leg three, probably, just because of the structure of the season. They like to try and eliminate a few teams off the bat. Leg four wasn't an non-elim. So maybe that one, maybe like three or four. Like five was already a non-elim. Like six obviously couldn't have been because like five was. Like seven was the double end leg start and end. Then you have Vancouver, which was probably the non-elim. And then being honest, they don't tend to non-eliminate at what would have been final four. 
they don't tend to like to do that and pad out the season even more. So it's unlikely it would have been the BAM flag or Beijing. Mm. Beijing it definitely wouldn't have been because that's final three. If you don't use the non-Limalia in the season. They wouldn't have even had to do the mugging penalty then. Because it's like, oh, we're going to take all your money. Oh, wait, James and Sarah, you don't have any money. I don't know what else we can do to you then. My suspicion is this is the most logical place where a non-Elim should have been. If the salvage pass wasn't used. It makes sense. Final five, or final six, I should say. It either would have been legs three, four, or this one. But this one probably makes the most sense in terms of they did one at leg five, one at leg seven, and now one in leg nine. Mm. So Grant asks them if they're on or off, and Sarah says that they will know each other till they're 80, which would of course make her 89 in that case. And James says that nothing can tear them apart. Sadly, we know 10, 11 years later, that is not entirely true. Yeah, they pretty much just split up right afterwards and then get back together and split up again. Yeah, they split up, they're together again for about six months, and then I believe they are not still in contact. Next time, after the Olympics, finals week begins. As teams continue through Canada, everyone is obsessed with Paul and Steve. Teams ride a dog sled, Lucy and Amelia come back for more, and Paul and Steve hammer away at the wrong thing, much to the amusement of Michelle and Joe. Lovely. Do we want to eulogise James and Sarah? Have we already done it enough, in your opinion? What an entertaining team. What an unusual couple to see on the race. They bickered in unique ways that we hadn't really seen before. <laughs> totally. They fought in ways that that happen in real life, but generally people don't do that on the race. They fight differently on the race, but yeah, this is a lot of real life kind of fighting. Their relationship as a dating couple slash mother and son team is unparalleled in Amazing Race history. And uh, yeah, Sarah was a lot brighter than you would think based on stereotypical appearances. This season absolutely would not have been as fun without James and Sarah in it. Because if you think how much entertainment they carry for the first two episodes of the season especially, the first episode is the infamous pig incident. The second episode is the ludicrous fight over the water bottle and Coke bottle. Then from like three onwards you get the proper drama between Paul and literally anyone else in the cast and he picks up the slack in terms of the drama. But a lot of the drama is carried by James and Sarah in those first two episodes. And then it shifts away from Paul to have it be between Sarah, James and Sarah, and Grace. Yeah, because the drama in the first two episodes is, well, it's it's Sarah versus appropriate clothing. Then James versus Sarah with the drink. Then you have Paul versus Kim and Donna continuing into leg four. Then leg five, you have Paul versus Grace. Leg six, you have Paul versus Grace. Like seven, you have Grace versus James and Sarah. Like eight, you have James and Sarah versus Grace. They carry the season for the first two episodes in terms of the entertainment, I would say. One thing that I think I talked about in the blog too is after the end of episode eight, when they show the whole confrontation between Joseph and Grace and James and Sarah, you think, oh, this is going to set up some epic rivalry all the way to the very end. But James and Sarah go home the very next episode and don't have any interaction whatsoever with Joseph and Grace for this whole Vancouver leg. Yeah, it's really interesting because you have so many big characters in this season that 
arguably a lot of them just kind of fizzle out in the end. James and Sarah just kind of disappear in the end. They're, there's no resolution to their storylines, which is very atypical for a show like this. Sticky and Sam, massive part of the first couple of episodes. And then literally nothing as they don't get involved in any of the drama. Even Joseph and Grace. Joseph and Grace, huge part of a lot of the drama of this midpoint of the season. And then they just disappear. They literally just disappear at one point, mm. actually. But yeah. <laughs> they just disappear in the season. You're in Inner Mongolia. <laughs> but we'll get to that in a couple of weeks. <laughs> or maybe in about three weeks' time after we take our Olympic break, obviously. <laughs> and then air the last three podcasts three days in a row. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it is about us picking historian seasons, but we seem to be on a run at the moment of picking seasons where they took some sort of break for the Olympics. Because Vidim Japan did it. Hong Kong Philippines did it, and now this. Yeah, that's a weird stretch. Have you guys got anything else you want to say about this episode? No, all done. Before Michelle goes and gets some bacon. Oh my god, I'm starving. It's quarter past eleven. Well, I I offered you the option to to go get some food, but no, oh, no, sold it on. <laughs> yes, bleeding martyr. Correct. <laughs> Yeah, this podcast was really was it three sheets to the wind, splice the main, <laughs> splice the main race, main race, and then wait, no. main race. Yeah, that's that's what Cheyenne Andrew thought. Splice the main race. Babao. <laughs> wait anchor and set sail. I will actually point out Shane and Andrew said main sail. Oh, yeah. main Sarah, who's the main oh, they did main race, and then Sarah nearly faints after she makes the correction. <laughs> get it right Tostorian so thank you for listening to our Amazing Race Australia recap we'll be back after our Olympic break next week to recap episode number 10 don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube or Instagram where we are RTV Warriors or you can email us and contact us at RTVWarriors.com Logan's on Twitter at Logsquacky Michelle is Beth and I'm MJ Helmstone you can also support us on Patreon at Patreon.com slash RTVWarriors see you next week bye peace out and just chill till the next episode